0: Good evening America, Um, this is Jared, (laughs) and this is Ryan, and we are the Follies of History, 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 History. Oh, cool, that wasn't bad. That was pretty good. That was really good. We didn't plan that at all. <laughs> yeah, we've got to hit him with our soundtrack next week. Yeah, we yeah. got a, We got a full line coming out, a full album. Mm-hmm. Top to bottom, you're going to be impressed. The songs kind of just like flow um, in between one another, and I think you're going to be entertained the whole time. Right, and we don't use real words, which yeah. is really neat. It's important because with words, it would just be awful. It would. So that's why you got to have something, something right. to keep the listeners on there, t- similar to what we're doing here. Per- correct. Correct. Yes, yeah. So, um, we got a little unique situation tonight, Ryan. Tell us about the tell us about the surroundings right now that are kind of yeah, causing some problems. Absolutely. There's a you know there's a lot of factors playing in in, in play right now, and uh, one of them being we live in the Windy Mesa on the Windy Mesa on the top of it mm. here in Page, Arizona, and great reference to a bar there. Check uh, check episode three hashtag Windy Mesa R I P. Great bar. Um, But anyway, yeah, it gets windy here, and it was windy just then, so we were problem solving, as two young smart men do, and we came up with put the chair on top of the table Mm -hmm. to cover, to block the wind from the recording device, which is my cell phone. And it's really working well, because it's kind of like a 90 degree... You know, angle pointing into the wind, so the wind is yeah. just breaking around it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and yeah, the inside of this chair is leather, so the sounds kind of bouncing around in there. Yeah, probably just right taking us from I don't know level one to level two, honestly, in our ter- and when it comes to recording mm-hmm. devices. I think we sound yeah better. Like so give us some feedback, Hotter, Yeah, let us know how we sound tonight. Yeah, because we're recording with a chair on top of the table. Yeah, so hit us yeah. up on our email. Yeah, volleys of history. Oh yeah, we so we let's talk about the email, and okay. I was I want to save it because I want to talk about one more thing that seems that seems important. You're gonna save it? <laughs> oh man, you're yeah, right. We it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. Right? Yeah, so but. Ryan told me the wrong email address last time. Yeah, I, I messed up. And it so, wasn't it wasn't <laughs> volleys of history at gmail dot com. It was actually and it wasn't the volleys of history either. No, it was I love unicorns at. @gmail.com. Well, you right, got to you got to have the numbers in there. Oh, um 1217. 1217 yeah. <laughs> I love unicorns 1217 cuz that's my birthday. It's not my birthday. Those <laughs> are the magical numbers that go with the unicorns. I had to have them in there. It is right. But that's not true. But what is true is that we have we have two emails now.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, so.
0: But the one that you need to be concerned about is just Volleys of History. Like we said last episode, Volleys of History. Mm -hmm. at gmail.com but if they sent an email within the last 48 hours am i correct it did not go through because that email didn't exist so originally i made a a one with a slightly different name Mm -hmm. and um that's the one that i thought we were going to share the the, the username of which we did not we shared just volleys of history at gmail.com and that's going to be the one where we Get your uh, fact checks exactly. We yeah. get your feedback, which we're very eager to hear about. Yeah, starting with the sound quality of this current episode. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, I mean, it's a baby email, you know, so it's hungry. It wants yeah. some food, and we it feeds on feedback. So absolutely, we want some feedback. We've referenced our infancy quite a yeah. few times, and we are but a mere baby. We are in our experience. Mm-hmm. Clearly, our recording device, which is, <laughs> which I, I need to say again is is my cell phone. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we're getting hit because it's a free app. We're getting hit with all these upgrade deals and ads. Really awful ads. I know. And mm-hmm. as we as we progress, I feel like part of growing up is you got to pay for stuff. Right. So we're gonna pay for paying. We're for not accepting and... <laughs> donations yet. We're be on the be on the list for donations. <laughs> we might be pushing that soon. Um, but you know, oh. we, yeah. Also, I got a little tidbit. Yeah. Um, shout out to Jennifer Renetti. Which is my wife's mom, always yeah. listen to every single episode, and I was just texting her last night, um, and she's like into it, yeah, know? she's listening. That's and great. My, I, I said before but my wife has listened to like a <laughs> half an episode so I'm just, <laughs> I feel so thankful to have a you know a mother-in-law who's yeah. Um, you know, engaging in our podcast. is pretty awesome. Dude, and me. a true number one fan. Yeah, and she's great. She's just a great lady. That's Fantastic awesome, man. cook. Super sweet. Sounds so. like you're kissing up a little bit, but I mean no better way I love to do you it. Jennifer, <laughs> I love you and I love your daughter, and I'm taking good care of her. If only she would listen though. We'll get her. We'll get <laughs> if her if one of these listen. days. You should text her. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody text Lauren. <laughs> Alright, here we go. Well, um, yeah, so we're just we're kicking it. The wind actually has died down here. On the, oh, so that's what I, I wanted to tell you this while we're live. I haven't told you this yet, but I think that there's no better place to call this area where we're doing the podcast than the podcast porch. The podcast porch. The podcast porch. I we're like in, that. Yeah, we're behind my house. That's the only thing I've ever porch. done out here. Yeah. Besides ping pong, it was a ping pong porch one night. But occasionally it can be the podcast porch. It is yeah. the ping pong porch and the podcast porch have similar places. But they're different, like the ping pong table is like out in the elements, you know, yeah, we're it is. sheltered and we have lights. Yeah. What, I, what is this thing? Is this a pergola that's above us? Um. Oh, I don't know. It's a wooded, covered thing that extends over a patio. What's that called? An awning, awning. a uh, permanent awning, a uh, I feel like an awning has roof. to be retractable, though. I think it's a roof, man. I think it's, it's <laughs> just a roof. It's made of plastic. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a roof. You know, it's outside. It's a roof. Yeah, it's a plastic po- plastic roof over the podcast porch. It is. So, there we are. That's the setting. Page, yes. Arizona. Um, and we had a fact check, right? Yes. So, just for clarification, um, I jokingly said that, you know when humans and dogs first met that they are probably eating dinosaurs, but it turns out that dinosaurs, um, according to the rock record, were a long time before that, so they probably weren't yeah. eating dinosaurs. That's a real bummer to hear. I know. I just kind of imagined, you know... I always wished that humans and dinosaurs could have interacted at the same time. Yeah. I imagine there would have been some crazy things that would have happened. The dinosaurs were probably jerks to the humans... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, we saw in Jurassic Park the results of dinosaur and human interaction. Right. And I feel like that's got to be fairly accurate. It has to <laughs> be. On a purely statistical basis. I mean, Chris Pratt does make friends with them mm-hmm. in this new one. But there was oh, a lot does. of, yeah, there were a lot of people that were like, whoa, you couldn't get a velociraptor to be trained. Yeah. By a human. So. well, let us know your thoughts. Pro- those humans probably thought that wolves couldn't be trained. And we learned about that. And now we got Fido sitting on our lap right now. There you go, man. An imaginary Fido. And he's licking peanut butter off your finger, don't lie. He is, yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of peanut butter. Um, peanut butter. Uh, have you heard of, you know how to make a raccoon trap? No. No. Well, you, you sleep outside. You uh, sleep right. outside. <laughs> okay. And you, you put peanut butter on your lips. Yeah. And you keep your mouth open. So when the raccoon comes by, he's licking your left, and you just, just get him with your teeth. So that's a homemade raccoon trap, everybody. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but peanut butter. Sometimes they're verbits, man. you got to get them away. Could you imagine that? <laughs> you have to know that there's one person that that's done that. That is the redneck raccoon trap. <laughs> yep. Tune in next week when we record Jared doing a live but raccoon trap. Yeah. Hey, Jared, how'd you lose your lips? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I wonder, like, the results of that, though. Like, if a raccoon is going to get on top of you to lick your lips, I'm assuming you could just grab it, like, kind of in your arms, give it a little hug. Yeah. But, I mean, they expect your hands to grab it, not your lips. Your That's teeth. true. So you're going just, like, straight biting his snout. Right. We are. Seems dangerous. So <laughs> I want to watch gonna a video put that to the <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. So we're continuing on, and um, last time I talked about uh, Crystal Rapid and its birth and the flood of 1983 and what that caused down in the Grand Canyon, especially at Crystal Rapid. And now I'm going to go, real, I'm going to dive right into the 1983 flood and a very special event that happened. Probably, it's It's honestly like one of my favorite stories to tell on the river yeah so um i hope it's i hope it's a good one yeah no and this is like speaking of it because i know i know the story and like you said you covered the other half of it last week Mm -hmm. um but it is it's genuinely one of like the most amazing stories of this region yeah like the american southwest at least my more modern history right within the last 30 40 years but yeah yeah no i can't wait to hear the rest of it man it's gonna be great it'll be awesome cool so, yeah, just uh, before we dive in, just make sure to hit us up on our email, mm-hmm. volleysandhistory, at gmail.com. And uh, we're eager to hear feedback, eager to hear some fact checks if you guys have them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, episode five. Five. Cinco. Cinco. Episode cinco. <laughs> Vamos. Vamos, wey. <laughs> Vamos, wey. Mr. Ryan, have I got a story... For you tonight. Dude, I can't wait. And it is beyond close to home. It is literally two and a half miles how the crow flies from us. Yep. And it it is also um, one of the most impressive structures that, you know, humans have ever built. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that is the Eiffel Tower. Ah! Hey! We're coming to you live! Yeah, (laughs) live. Sorry, forgot about that. That's in Paris. I'm talking about the Glen Canyon Dam. Which does not look anything like the Eiffel Tower. But it looks a lot like the Hoover Dam. Hey, Yes. <laughs> Which is another impressive construction. <laughs> exactly. So, Glen Canyon Dam, first of all, that's why we're here, right? That's why Page exists. Um, this was a part of the Navajo Reservation. U.S. government acquired that 16-square-mile plot of land that is now Page um, for the sole purpose of building the Glen Canyon Dam. 1956, workers move here, construction begins. Um, last bucket of concrete is poured in 1963. Yeah. And there was, there was nothing here no. before. The homes each had their own generator, yeah. um, for electricity. Um, which a lot of them still do. Yeah. Actually, they still do. A lot of to them still do. 50%. Yeah, right. On the Navajo reservation. Right. So what that means for, um, for my story is in 1963, the Colorado River sees a very dramatic change, Right. Because above Hoover Dam until this point, for, you know, over 500 miles, the Colorado River ran free Mm -hmm. um, through what we know as Glen Canyon and what we know as the Grand Canyon. Mm In 1963, the last bucket of concrete being poured and the diversion tunnels, so where they divert the water around the river. Through the rock. Through the rock, rock, through the sandstone to, you know, build the dam, Mm -hmm. are plugged. And Lake Powell begins rising. Yep. Okay. Can I ask you a question, kind of going back just a little bit? Yeah. So at the time that the Glen Canyon Dam was made, the Hoover Dam had already been made, correct? Correct. That was uh, completed in 1936. And the headwaters of the Colorado is obviously in the Colorado Rockies. hmm Had any other point of that river been dammed upriver at that time? Um. I mean. uh I, that, that, that's actually a great fact. That's check. a great fact. Check. We'll write I, that down. The the thing is, I mean, there was probably smaller portions of it um, downstream of Hoover Dam. There were areas that were being diverted and attempting to be dammed. Yeah, I'm. I i do not know about, but downstream. yeah. But as you go further down in the Colorado, is where the dams are. Correct. Yeah, in yeah. like what is called the um, um, the Imperial Valley, yeah. of Southern California. Yeah, and yeah, northern cool. Mexico. Cool. Yeah, it's just so. Curious. Oh okay. yeah, the Hoover the Hoover Dam has already there too. It is there, yeah. yeah. But so it flowed upriver, into the through the Grand Canyon, and then into Lake Mead, created by the Hoover Dam. Correct. Yeah, but correct. it was flown free. It yeah. was a 500 mile free flowing stretch of river. Crazy. Yeah. yeah so there. um, we put a plug. We put a big concrete plug in that in that Colorado River here mm-hmm. right outside of Page, and they started filling Lake Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, now Lake Powell has a capacity of over. 13 million acre-feet of water, which means you can imagine one acre, one foot deep of water, mm-hmm. and then 13 million of those. That's so, so much. So how long, guess how long it took to fill that? Oh, man. Five years. Almost 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. So 18. in 1981, yeah. Lake Powell reached full pool for the first time, 100% full capacity. Mm-hmm. Okay? After that point, they tapered it off a little just to, in case there was a flood. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. 1983, we have a massive flood. Yeah. Um, the water coming into Lake Powell um, was coming in at a rapid level. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a massive snowfall in May, and the summer just cut in like a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, it started melting off this snow very rapidly, yeah. and all of it funnels into Lake Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at the dam... Um, the water is rising. The water is rising. They have to release more water, and they have a couple plants for that. Before the, the first is what they call four river outlet tubes, and they open those wide open. Mm-hmm. They can also run the generators full capacity through the turbines to make more electricity. Mm-hmm. Last emergency ditch effort is to emote, to open the emergency spillways, mm-hmm. um, which are connected to those original diversion tunnels. Okay. Which is what they had to do in 1983. Yeah, um, just what, because it was rising. So there's the there's the full mark. Correct. And if you go to the lake today, you can see where it wasn't. I believe you said 1981. Mm-hmm. You can see where that line is. Correct. Yeah. But it went above that. Yeah. So 1983 yeah. got to within six feet of the top of the Glen Canyon Dam. I think. Um, and it was a dire situation. Like these guys at the dam had to pull out all the stops to to save the structure and release enough water downstream to save the Glen Canyon Dam. Yeah. So that so, was their thought process. so much pressure, too. So much pressure. Yeah. So that's their thought process. Well, how much water can we get through this dam to save the structure? Mm-hmm. They were not thinking about what was going on downstream, which is a lot of what I talked about last time. Yeah. and uh, um, The one death and a lot of injuries and um, humans thrown in the water because yeah. the rapids were so huge. Mm-hmm. So at this time, um, in 1983, in late June, I'm talking like June 20th to the 30th, the Park Service decides to close the Colorado River at Lee's Ferry, meaning that wow. if you're going to go through the Grand Canyon starting at Lee's Ferry, yeah, um, you're told to, that that your trip is canceled. Wow. Because the water's too high, yeah. too dangerous. So on June 25th, something very peculiar happens, um, and it was only noticed by one family. And this family had came from Albuquerque, New Mexico, to go on a 14-day river trip through the Grand Canyon. They arrived at Lee's Ferry um, to find a ranger standing there telling them the trip was canceled because of the high water levels and the damage it was causing downstream. Very disappointed, of course. Mm-hmm. So they decided to camp at Lee's Ferry for the night. And they got in late, so they're staying up late, and they noticed something very peculiar a little after 11 p.m., they're looking down at the river from their campsite, and they see a small wooden boat <laughs> with two big floodlights at the head of it going downstream on the Colorado. Wow. Of course, they alert Park Service. Like, these guys are illegally running the river. Um, but what came of that little boat is one of the more incredible stories uh, that, yeah. you know, the Grand Canyon has to offer. Yeah. So... The, on that boat were three men. Three men by the name of Kenton Grua, age 33, um, Steve Reynolds, age 33, and Rudy Petchek, age 49. He's an old guy of the bunch. Yeah. And they worked for a company called Grand Canyon Dories. So I, I just went on a river trip. Um, you run the river nowadays, except for in some instances on rubber rafts, um, yeah. oftentimes motorized. They bounce off rocks. Um, they flex in rapids, and these guys were on a wooden boat. Yeah. And this company that they worked for, called Grand Canyon Dory specialized in only running those trips. Mm. Um, so they had experience doing it. Oh yeah, yeah. lots of experience. Yeah. I, um, yeah. These guys are like legends. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of a funny company because you, you know you, you yeah. could go on a motorized boat. Um, or you can row down like they did in the 1800s. Yeah, and, and you know they're the, the company. They didn't market these like elaborate, lavish meals and stuff like that. Like they eat canned food. They took a long time, like well over twenty days, to get down to the wow. Grand Wash Cliffs, two hundred and seventy seven miles later, right? Yeah. Um but the leader of the trip, Kenton Grew, had his eyes set on a speed record and yeah. he had done several other feats in the canyon. Um he's the only person um actually, to walk from Lee's Ferry to the Grand Wash Cliffs on one side of the river, like roughly at river level. Wow. 277 miles. Mm-hmm. He just walked. He and walked it, and anyone who's been down the Grand Canyon knows how like wild of a feat that is. Yeah. But this this guy just lived, eat, and breathed river. And so he yeah. had his eyes on the speed record. Mm-hmm. Um, he attempted before, but they ran into some trouble. Um, they ended up sleeping for a night, and they still had the record at that point going through the Grand Canyon, but he said they had to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what do you suppose the Park Service you know, said when they... Because, of course, they were trying to do it right. They were like, yeah. oh, let's get a hold of the park, tell them we're going to do a, a speed run to test how fast we can remove somebody from the river in an emergency situation. Yeah. In the Park Service like that. Oh, man. I don't know. Part of me thinks that they would feel 100% liable for the... Ramifications of whatever happened oh, to those people, so they would try to get them out as right. quickly as possible. But then they're running the risks associated with why they closed it in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. So I don't know what they do. Yeah. So I mean, basically, the they guy... shot who, him. <laughs> they shot him, killed him. No, <laughs> but, take him out. <laughs> yeah, the guy who owned that company, Grand Canyon, Dories, his name was um, Martin Litton, and he basically got a hold of the park service, said, "Hey, this is what these guys are planning to do." Can I get a go ahead? Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't get a yes. He also didn't get a firm no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so of course these guys um, decided, well, you know, we didn't uh-huh. get a hard no. We're just going to go for it. And then they started. So they, they drive down to Lee's Ferry and their shops in Hurricane, Utah, which is a it's a good drive, like three hours yeah. to get there. And they launched their boat at 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. Which seems strange, you know, like, well, yeah. why not launch in the daylight? But what they have to be timing is um, the biggest rapids of the Grand Canyon. Live. You can't do those at night. Exactly. Yeah. So they're trying to time themselves so that they're hitting the biggest white water yeah. during the daytime. So, yeah. of course, they have to launch at um, 11 o'clock p.m. Yeah. And they have to take shifts, is what they decide. They do 20 minute shifts. So one guy will row. And just how these, how these boats work um, it's a wooden boat. The bow and the stern, the front and the back, are, are turned up a mm-hmm. little bit to break the water. Yeah. Um, most of them only have one point, and that's in the front the bow to break the water. Mm-hmm. But Grua Kenton Grua, leader of this trip, had modified the Emerald Mile so that both ends had a point. Um, so I mean, the thing was built for speed. Yeah. But when you're rowing. Um, on smooth water, you're rowing, your, your back is facing downstream mm-hmm. because you're pulling the rows, yeah. right? So these guys would take, take 20 minute shifts. They'd row hard for 20 minutes. Next guy would rotate, get yeah. on the lights. Other guy would rest just like that. Yeah. The whole trip. So you have one guy guiding, one guy resting. One guy on the lights, on the lights, lights basically. Yeah. Um, one guy kind of resting, unless they're in a rapid. Yeah. And another guy rowing. Cool. Anyone who rows knows, like, how much of a physical effort that is. Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to, like, endurance sports, you yeah. know, there's running, mm-hmm. um, there's cross-country skiing, and there's rowing. Yeah. As far as just, like, full-body endurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, these guys are working. Oh, man, they're working hard. Working for it, right. Yeah, and they're just sitting in a wooden boat. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so there's a that... 277-mile stretch of river. Um, in it, some just incredibly nasty white water. Mm-hmm. Um, what was interesting during that flood was, because of the water was so high, some of the smaller rapids were completely washed out. The water was so high that it just buried the rapid. Yeah. It just went right over without even knowing. Um, some of the rapids got really, really nasty. Yeah. Especially as they got farther downstream. hmm So, um... A lot of the information I'm giving, almost all of it, is from a book called The Emerald Mile by Kevin Podarko. Um Do you say that's the name of the boat, too? The, yeah, the name of the... Yeah, the dory there on the boat is The Emerald Mile. Yeah. Cool. Right. Um, great book. Check it out, please. And, uh, yeah, like you said, I haven't read it, which I need to, but you right. said it talks a lot about the area, too, which I think is... Uh-huh. Which is important. The lake, Glen Canyon. Right. Grand Canyon. Yeah. So... And just an idea of like what these guys are you know, dealing with, what, when they get to a big rapid, um, and it, this is no walk in the park, you know. there's something called high siding, so basically you go through a big rapid, you imagine you know, like big waves, a small boat going through it, it's very easy for that boat to flip over some direction or the other, so the guy in the front has to do what's called high siding, so basically they go down into like a big hole into a rapid, go up a big wave, And the wave is trying to flip you back over itself. Mm -hmm. So the guy in front has to hold on and basically lean his body over the front of the boat to keep the boat from flipping over. (laughs) Yeah. So this is not just like, oh, casually rowing. Like, these guys are working, you know, trying to get through it. um, They're throwing their body weight to prevent from capsizing, basically. To prevent from capsizing. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. So, um... Intense, man. Yeah, so these guys keep going, and, um... You know, I think until they so they had set an unaffi- you know a record, but they came back to do it again a couple of years prior. Before then, the record going through the Grand Canyon was like thirteen days, mm-hmm. um, thirteen days, two hundred seventy-seven miles. Yeah, so, so just kind of keep that in, in perspective. Thirteen days is a long time, right? Yeah. Um. So now. Of course, there's not there going to be issues. Mm-hmm. Last episode I talked about at Crystal Rapid, Yeah, the National Park Service had closed the rapid, forcing all boats to pull over. Mm-hmm. And I ended my story talking about Ranger um, John Thomas as he's pulling all these commercial boats over, telling the passengers to walk around um, this incredibly dangerous rapid, 45-foot tall wave, and he sees this wooden dory coming downstream. The Emerald Mile. That wooden dory is the Emerald Mile. Yeah. And he knows exactly what they're doing. He's a yeah. boatman himself. He recognizes the boat. He recognizes the guys. Yeah. And he has no choice. I mean, he, he, I can just imagine this internal dilemma he's yeah. having. You know, like as a Oh, as he a smiled. Worker. You have to know he sat there and smiled. As a worker for the park service, yeah. he's thinking like, oh, I should probably report this, but I can't. Yeah. You know? So he's watching them with a little bit of anger, a little bit of envy as they're bailing downstream. and He just yeah. decides to, you know, post up and see what happens at Crystal. Yeah. Um and of course, you know, uh a seventeen foot long wooden boat and a forty five foot tall wave does mm-hmm. not do the Emerald Mile. And the boat just gets completely tossed over in Crystal Rapid. Wow. Um Steve Reynolds, his nickname's Wren, ends up getting a really nasty concussion. Yeah. Um the bow of the boat pretty much clocks him straight in the face. Um and he's barely conscious in the river. Um, all guys are all the guys are thrown overboard, but after about ten minutes, they all manage to get back on board, just completely exhausted, wow. and continue going downstream. They got back on, right? And they got their friend that got clocked. Exactly. So <laughs> at this point, um, Ren, Steve Reynolds, he's he's out. Yeah. You know he can kind of try to row for a little bit, but he's not doing any work. So it's yeah. just down to Grua. Um, and Rudy Petschek, who is 49 years old, the yeah. old man of the group, to kind of finish off the last oh 180 miles of river. Yeah, they're like not even halfway. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it it, it becomes a, a just a pretty remarkable grind for these guys going through the rapids, trying to stay, you know, keep um, Ren yeah. relatively How conscious. long? How long was it until the dude got, or how how long until he hit Crystal? Uh, 98.8 miles, and they were going 277 miles. Okay. And then how much time did it take them to get there? To Crystal? Yeah. Um, they got there in the, in the daytime. I think it was like 10 or 11 hours is all. Yeah, which is crazy. They left at 11 p.m. Right. And they're getting there by morning. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, the biggest water, that's the biggest water the King has seen in. Yeah. 25 years. Yeah, and And that's why they're obviously going so fast. And that's why they chose that time to go. Right. Yeah. Correct. Right. So... Um, now something kind of interesting happens towards the, towards the end of the trip um, mm-hmm. Grua who's been kind of the kingpin of this trip master like he has this, these rapids memorized in his mind and he's running them very well um, he just hits a wall and falls asleep um, oh, and he man. can't row anymore and the only person to take the oars is Rudy Petschak aged 49 years old yeah and as Grua slept and as Ren slept due to his injury, he just rode. He rode and rode and rode for the last, like, four and a half hours of this trip. Um, and eventually the men wake up. Um, Grua takes oars for a little bit. And they finally, after this just incredible journey, um, arrive at the Grand Wash Cliffs. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, the record beforehand, about 13 days, they emerge alive, after 36 hours, wow, 38 minutes, and 39 seconds. Jeez. Yeah. It's like a day and a half. Day and a half. Right. Of just straight going. Did mm-hmm. they stop at all? They didn't stop. Oh, my gosh. The only time they quote-unquote stopped was when they got overturned at Crystal. Yeah? Yeah. Man. So, of course, um, word spreads very quickly about yeah. You know this record setting around in the park service gets a hold of it. And Grua gets a letter in the mail. Um, summoning, summoning him to court at the South Rim of the Grand Canyon, Yeah, of course. Now, this is where Martin Lytton kind of pulls a fast one, which is pretty cool. But yeah. he's very well-connected, huge environmentalist, um, very well-connected with the political community. He had a good mm-hmm. buddy who was a, a lawyer in Los Angeles, California, Yeah. who he got to represent. Oh, the so they got the, the big leagues. They got the big guys. So they oh, go yeah. to this trial and... You know, it's it's hard to tell because there's not really records of this trial, but I have to imagine that the judge was trying to be judging, but also just very amused by the story. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, probably these guys These guys snuck into the river. Yeah. <laughs> and the judge is like, come on. Right. Like, look what these guys did. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So he's on trial, and um, the original sign was, like, fine. It was going to be something like seven several hundred dollars. Yeah. And the lawyer was like, there's no way. You don't understand. These river guides can barely afford to get off the river, go to the bar, you know, and survive through the winter. Yeah. Um, so, he, the, the lawyer eventually helped Grua bargain down his sentence to just um, an unspecified amount of community service in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. No one was overseeing it. You know, no one was, like, checking up to make sure he was doing anything. Yeah. Um, but he pretty much, like, got off scotch-free. Yeah. Um, and... You know that just you, you got to know that, that 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 judge had to have been just impressed by what. Happened. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think that it's funny that they started them out at only a few hundred dollars, right? <laughs> and the lawyers still talked it down to just community service, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like the publicity money that they got from the feed. <laughs> it was enough to cover that. Oh, so yeah. So, you know, they're grand. just... You know they're going to check. And then I think it's funny. you gotta you got to do community service in the place that you so clearly love that you're willing to risk your life for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was probably like, listen, man, I'm down there all the time. Like, Right. counted as, as community service. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Actually, like, speaking of that, though, the... Like, these guys were not out for... Um... Like praise from their peers. Like yeah. they were very quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Gruen never, you know, never wanted to like brag about this feat that he did. For him, it was just like a better way of knowing and understanding that canyon. Yeah, you know, he'd hiked through it. He'd mm-hmm. done countless trips through it. Yeah, and I wanted to to experience this river, um, in its wildest state that he would ever see. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of something interesting to think about. Is these guys got to go on the river? during a big flood, yeah. which was not different from the floods before the dam. You know, like yeah. before the dam was there, the floods in the spring, early summer were massive as well. I was going to ask you that. Do you think, like, before men had had the control on that river, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that too, yeah. had the control on that river that they do, do you think that the canyon had seen that kind of oh, absolutely. river level? I mean, there's even in, in modern records, we have floods double that size, Wow. over double. In Crazy. in just our recording at least, fair. Yeah. So there there definitely have been. Yeah. Um. So I think this is kind of, and something I kind of want to touch on a little bit too is just um. Like, when you think about the dam, and just like the barrier that is. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the people of the dam like water conservation, water storage, and above that the lake and water sports and wakeboarding and water skiing and houseboats, and below that you have this group of people who's just committed to experiencing it how it was yeah. and how it should be and how that river's natural state should have been. Um, and in the midst of this human catastrophe um, where you know this multi-million dollar structure that humans have built is in jeopardized of being destroyed, you have three men at the bottom of the Grand Canyon just relishing in the experience of um, of being on this river how it was before humans had touched it yeah. and before they had control over it. Yeah. So, I think, you know, in, generally, in general, you could kind of divide a lot of people between those two categories. Mm-hmm. And, like, is it the advancements of man that make the outdoors enjoyable and recreation fun? Or is it... The raw nature and like experiencing it for all it has—that's that where the value is. And uh, once again, we've beautifully linked our podcast stories without ever talking about them because I'm oh, definitely really? going to talk about that too. Cool. Yeah, I think. Yeah, just the experience of being in a place, and you talk you talked about it a little bit more. The experience of being in a place over just the, the glamification of it, I yeah. guess, and, and experiencing for what it was mm-hmm. and what it, I don't know, not what society makes it. Right. Like these guys did. They they clearly, and they had spent a lot of time down there, they clearly wanted to experience this river as it was meant to be experienced. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is awesome. And they, they rest their lives for it. Oh, absolutely. They and rest it. everything for it. Yeah. Their yeah. jobs, their livelihood. Yeah. Their camper trucks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but for a great story, excellent. excellent. Yeah, excellent story. What became of them? Do you have any idea? Um, Grua died at age fifty-two. Yeah. Um, and pretty much the whole river community showed up for his funeral. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Wren Steve Reynolds. Um, he guided for quite a wha- quite a while after that, um, and just kind of slowly stopped having that yearning to go back to the river. You know, it's mm-hmm. getting older. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and he eventually moved on. Rudy check sure. um, acting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about Rudy. Yeah. I'll check on that. Cool. But there's one thing before I end. Um, so you're not telling everybody this is the record to the Grand Canyon. It's not. Um, the record has been broken. Oh, um, it has. That's it has. Bad. And of course, um, that was with the advent of the kayak. Oh, okay. just so, a single person goes down a lot quicker. Yeah. Exactly. So the the record was broken in um, 2017 um, twice. The first so. Emerald Miles' record, 36 hours, 38 minutes. Um, These guys, they called themselves Team Beer group of kayakers. Um, They broke the record 35 hours, 5 minutes. And then most recently, a solo kayaker um, named Ben Orkin. He currently holds a record at 34 hours and 2 minutes. Wow. He set out from Lee's Ferry by himself. Yeah. um, And really crushed the record, but... You know kayaks technology. Yeah, I know. Like, records so, are made to be in a, in a wooden boat is what they did that in. Yeah, yeah. A wooden boat. Right. Yeah, that's not some advanced kayak that you can and then you buy yourself. Too. No, you don't have that. You don't have that double oar. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure he was the kind of guy that was used to a lot more experienced in terms of like the rapids and stuff. Yeah. There, he there are other rapids like that. Yeah. Right. Which is just unfair. But yeah, I think that this, that story is amazing, and it's just the The fact that they did it in kind of a badass way mm-hmm. just plays into that a little bit more. Oh, and exactly. They li- they lived, and especially I think like you know if everybody's going to break the record. There's going to be a record broken for just about everything. Right. But to take it from where it was to what they did, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Like and how they did it. Yeah, like that in... many days, thirteen days for right. thirty six hours. Right. Yeah. And to do it at such like a pivotal time, mm-hmm. when the Bureau of Reclamation is pulling its hair out, yeah, thinking they're going to have a, you know, <laughs> go down in the history books as the largest disaster of mankind. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, on the river, these guys are, you know, seeing the beauty yeah. in it. Yeah, absolutely. And just completely immersing themselves in it. Man, and you, think, you talked about the rivers that flow into the Colorado. Mm. Obviously, have the Colorado is the main channel, but... You have all these other waterfalls and tributaries coming into the river. I'm sure it must have been incredible for them to see just how much water was coming down that canyon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Sweet. Well, I loved it, man. Yeah. love the local stories. It just uh, it hits home. and yeah, I'm happy cool. I finally got to hear that in its full, in its entirety. Thanks, just, man. Yeah. That was good. good dude. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, we're going to roll on. I'm going to get going here. All right. Let's hear it. Alrighty, well, uh, Jared just wrapped up his two-parter. The first two-parter, actually. That was. So and that was good, man. The Emerald Mile. Two-parter. I got a two- <laughs> <laughs> It's a classic one-two punch. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't fart at all during the recording of that podcast. It's really so disappointing to hear. For the record. I wish that you could do it loud enough for them to hear. It. <laughs> we have to kick up the rating. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to dive into mine. Um, last week I covered dogs, history of dogs, I'm going to go a different direction, and like I said, it kind of ties in, you we'll get to it eventually, it kind of ties into yours, but I'm going to do the history of Mount Everest. Oh, man, I was just reading some stuff about that. Yeah, so I was okay. going to say, there's All been right. a lot of stuff out there in, I, I don't know, I've seen a lot of stuff in the last couple months, honestly, about Everest, mm-hmm. um, obviously I'm a teacher, I talk about mountains a lot. I think mountains are important to know about because mountains shape climate. They shape landscapes. Ooh, yeah. They shape where people live. Um, it's really, obviously, mountains are super important. Yep. Um, and obviously, the, the Everest of mountains is Mount Everest, and I think it's... It is. It is. It's the big guy. Well, um, I got a quick question. You yeah. you talk about Killian Jornet at all? No, I'm not. Oh, dang. Okay. Not. Well, he climbed Everest twice mm-hmm. in one week um, without a guide or supplemental oxygen. Wow. Which is pretty cool. And as I was going to say, you have climbed a lot of mountains. Including Everest. <laughs> twice, right? <laughs> ah, no, you're right. But yes, I've climbed But yeah. Everest is a different, no, so, Everest, different animal. Well, true? Yeah, we're going to dive gonna into that. that. Um, but yeah, no, that's what I was going to say is I think that you're going to be able to talk a lot about just the mountain climbing aspect of things. I've climbed my fair share of mountains, definitely not as much as, as you, but... Um, yeah, so here we go. History of Mount Everest. I think it's important to first talk about how Mount Everest is formed and why. Why is it the biggest mountain in the world? Um, which it's it is the is. best. That's it's, why. It's the, it's the best. Um, but, like we talked about earlier, I wanted to cite my sources. Um, I got some... There's a great there's a great John Oliver John Oliver video... And he talks about Mount Everest, and some of the things we're going to talk about come from some of the things he talked about. He's hilarious. Watch his YouTube channel, and uh, Explorer Passage had a good article that I got so from. And of course, our best friend Wikipedia. Sweet. America. Um, you know what? America should buy Mount Everest from China. Because we need we need it to be we got, become the best. We got the best country, the yeah. best women, best cars. <laughs> we need the best mountain. Just pick it up. You got a shovel. We got how do you it. think you built that damn Grand Canyon? You buy Mount Everest, I'll ship it home for you. My name is Jared Beers. Pick up your shovel. We'll, we'll bring her on over here. Mountain Extraction Contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Page Arizona. We're coming to you live. Um, but no, let's talk, about, let's talk about how Mount Everest actually formed. Which, if you think back to elementary school, think about plate tectonics. You got all these little, just like a... Uh, if you're eating some rice checks, which I was a huge fan of as a kid, great cereal. Rice checks floating around in the little milk. That's kind of, and they bump into each other, and they take up space. That's exactly how plate tectonics works. So you got all these plates floating around on this hot-ass core that it, we call the center of the earth. So the milk would be warm. Yeah, <laughs> warm, and, warm and molten. <laughs> okay. Yeah, So but the magma moves the... Rice checks and warm milk. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you got all these plates bouncing around. Um you have the, this very special plate, which is called the Indian plate. Not of food, but of of, oh. of land on the earth. I was hoping for some like curry and <laughs> that's the only Indian food I know. But there there is some curry on the plate, you just like really you gotta really, really look at just, the plate. You gotta zoom in. <laughs> you gotta zoom in. Um but it's there. But anyway, we got this Indian plate, and it's just smashing into the Eurasian plate, and that's how mountains form. Now, it's important to know that Mount Everest is being formed. It's a relatively, the Himalayas are a relatively new mountain range. It's growing. It's growing, and it, right? it just in the last, let's see, for like I would say a hundred years, it's grown twenty feet. Yeah, it's like, like that's inch, a lot. like an inch or two a year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, as the Indian plate slams into that, things are growing. Um, and the other thing that's important to remember, and I'm going to talk talk about why this is important, and also it's just a good bit of information to know. You think about mountains being in really cold places, which usually they are. The Himalayas sit very close to the equator. They're on the Tropic of Cancer actually, which is at hmm. 23 and a half latitude. Um, wow. Longitude. Sorry. And uh no, yeah, lati- so it's, it's latitude. You're right. Latitude. Yeah, I always get. Latter. I'm in geography. Lat- I'm in latitude. Ladder. It's like the rungs oh, of a the ladder. Oh, there you go. I'm in geography. That yeah, yeah. was my minor. Well, <laughs> now Maps my life, and I never ever remember the difference between two. <laughs> so ladder, latitude, ladders, and go. then long. But ladders go general. up. Well, but, but the rings so on the ladder. ladder. Latitude is like a ladder. The rungs of a ladder. Longitude is if you're going a long road trip, you see the power poles toop, 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 beside the road. Yeah, that's longitude. Those poles going up, up. up. Yeah, that's how <laughs> I learned it. it. Okay. But a ladder goes up. All right, I'll remember that. Oh, okay. Because you said it, latitude. But then I'll remember the ladders. Don't go up. So the, the Himalayas are the, tra- the Tropic of Latitude. The Tropic of Latitude. All right, good. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's just interesting that they're really close to the equator. People That is weird, that, yeah. Uh, which kind of makes it special, and that's one of the reasons why, as I go back to that, that's one of the reasons why it's the tallest mountain in the world, is because of how close it is to that hmm. area. And you get, um, it's kind of the mixture of how hot it can be and how much it can snow there, too. Kind of like you said, just a lot of floods. Right. That basin in India, and as you go north towards China, that that area gets flooded quite a bit, mm. just because of how much snow can be there and how quick it can melt. Anyway, we continue. So that's kind of how it's there, um, and obviously, kind of one of the some of the reasons why it's the biggest. Um, anyway, so now you get now I haven't I, I would be very interested to know if anyone's willing to do the research. I want to know about Mount Everest, like. A thousand years ago, Mount mm. Everest doesn't really come up in history until about 150 years ago. So I don't know if there just wasn't people able to live in that area and deep in the Himalayas, oh, or it's just not recorded enough that I in my minimal amount of research on yeah, this. Yeah, you know, I mean, from what I've 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 heard about like other Himalayan mountains um, and like the is it Hindu that religion that's there? Or What is that religion that, that, well, that yeah. Tibet people of Tibet? People of Tibet are not generally Hindu, I don't what think. What are they? It's like, um... I don't... I, that's a great... That's a fact ah, check. That's a fact check. But, um, but anyway... But they are their own ethnic group. They are. And they have... But whatever the religion they adhere to, a lot of times these big mountains are sacred. So it's not... They're They're like... They hold a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, to be kind of like observed. Yeah. respected like prayed for give offerings to the mountains but not to be They would never climbed, climb them. Yeah. Which is why all of these big peaks in the Himalayas were climbed by westerners. Like, yeah. I don't think you could find a peak in the Himalayas like a technical climb mm. that was not climbed by somebody from what we would consider the western. Yeah, well and I was going to say you look at other non-western cultures like Navajo is a great example. Mountains are so important in the Navajo culture. Right. The four sacred peaks they never addressed ever in any Navajo stories or culture climbing to the top they on don't. One of one well, They don't. It's disrespectful. Yeah, right? exactly. So, yeah, you have these white people to climb it. Yeah, here in America, we, we disrespect our mountains. Yeah, we want to go on top and pee off of the side of it. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, and that's Westerners were the ones to first survey the area, and that's kind of where this history really starts. Um,. And 1841 is that it's recognized as the tallest mountain in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, up until that point, people thought it was a, a different mountain that was also in the Himalayas, but it, it's actually the third. They Which had, one was it? K two? It's not. K two is the second. Right. It's got some really long name that I did not write down. printout? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't write it down. I was actually I looked at the name. It's super long, and it probably goes back to that Tibetan. Okay. Faith, um, because Mount Everest's name is. Chamalunga, ah, Chumalunga. In, in their native tongue, but the way they got the name Everest, which plays into the history, um, as they're surveying the British, as the British took over India and slowly moved north into the, mount, into the Himalayan mountain range, they're starting to survey the area, which I can't, I imagine, would have been so much fun to just experience that. Oh yeah, for some of the first white, at least white <laughs> people to experience that. Um, but one of those surveyors was named Sir George Everest. And that's where the name mm. comes from. He was one of the surveyors at the time. Um, and it's interesting because it was first measured at twenty nine thousand or 29,002 feet. Now it's measured at 29,029 feet. Wow. So 27 feet, that's which a is of, like, that's a lot. That's in, a lot of feet. In a very minimal amount of geological time. Right. Um, so, yeah. And uh, like I said, it, it grows quite a bit, which mm-hmm. is what, which I think it's just interesting. Um, so then obviously where it kind of where it sits geographically, it's literally right on the border between Nepal to the south mm-hmm. and then present-day China to the north, but that's technically Tibet. but Tibet is um, still controlled by China. And that's why, yeah, that's why I say right. like it is technically China. So it's just technically China. Yeah. You know, as you, it's interesting looking at a map of China because as you look at the western part of China, those people are not really Chinese at all. They're just under Chinese control. Right. Um, I'm gonna, I'll write it down to look it up for the fact check. But um, the people that live north of Tibet, that region, they are experiencing a experiencing a similar thing that the Tibetans have experienced where they don't want to assimilate to Chinese culture, but it's almost forced upon them. Right. Um, and that's what obviously the people of Tibet experience now. You see all the free Tibet signs. Oh, yeah. That's to try to give Tibet back its, its independence independence and freedom good luck Tibet. yeah china (laughs) controls a lot of things good luck including us (laughs) (laughs) including most of the world which they will own in the next 20 years but that's an episode for later (laughs) um but anyway, so as we as we continue through um kind of just the history of it the first initial attempt was made in 1921 Mm -hmm. and it's important to remember that people kind of tackle this mountain from different sides you have the tibet side and then you have the nepalese side um and initially, some of the borders were closed, so that's why at the first attempt, they went from the Tibet side, which was in 1921. They mm-hmm. made this first attempt. And, uh, let's see. And that was the first attempt. And I think a lot of it was, um, them kind of, they kind of played it safe, which I think is interesting, because a lot of these big conquerings of these, m- these mountains, these canyons, like you talked about, it was kind of just like a send oh yeah but they, they carefully send. they carefully planned out the the tackling of Mount Everest um, so eventually in 1924 um, this guy with the last name of Mallory and this guy other guy with the last name of Irvine were spotted 800 feet away from the summit now legend goes they died then that's right there one of the bodies was was found in the 1990s which would have been 70 years after this. People don't know if they made it to the top, which I think right. has to be a fascinating story. Obviously there's not much facts about it. Yeah. But people well, don't know if they made it. And something like that's important to talk about like with that is when you look at death's mountain climbing, um, it's not ascending that kills people, it's yeah. descending. Yeah. So you know, being that close to the summit a big part of me wants to believe it they probably die descending. Yeah. You know, cause like you don't, when you're going uphill, you don't make that many mistakes. Like yeah. you're working against gravity, your feet are secure. Yeah. So and we're going to dive into that too, is kind of present day problems with the mountain. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the huge problems is people coming down, but we'll get there. Um, so after these guys went again, there was a lot more like time taken in and effort put into like the safety and making sure that they can do it for, for realsy. Um, but the first two guys to climb it, was edmund hillary yep and he was from new zealand of course big mountain moun- moun- p- mountainous, very area. oh yeah area. there's yeah. a lot of very jagged peaks there and tenzing norgay who was a sherpa mm-hmm. um so sherpas are uh, this is quoting the john oliver video which i think was funny capital s sherpa is an ethnic group that lives in that region lowercase sherpa is a person that takes your friend up everest yeah takes that carries your 100 pound things sets up your tent right and cuddles you to bed at night yeah, you know i met um i'm sorry but um the dentist okay in our town <laughs> yes <laughs> no in your past town he's been up he's been up real high on everest okay um And I, you know, what's weird is, like, you always think of, like, Everest being, like, this really incredible feat, Mm -hmm. um, which it is. But a lot of people get, like, pretty high up on Everest and sometimes even summit um, pretty easily because these Sherpas haul all their gear. Absolutely. Set up their tent, their sleeping bag, put a little chalk on their pillow at night. Yeah. Um, They're doing the dirty work. Absolutely. And that's, like, kind of where I was leading with all this is just the poshness of climbing Mount Everest now. Oh, dude, it's so posh. And that's exactly... Yeah, that's exactly what I want to talk about. So obviously that was in May 29th, 1953. From the Nepal side was the first time that it has been climbed. Sin- in, in between 1953 and 1988, that's 35 years, there were 260 people that made that climb. In mm-hmm. 35 years, 260 people. Since then... There have been, I saw, to be honest with you, just kind of doing my research, I think it's important to say, I saw a few different numbers. I saw anywhere from 5,000 to 9,000 people have made the ascent. Wow. Which I I honestly thought it would be a little bit more. That is quite a few people. Um, But like I said, I saw some differing numbers. But what's important to note on that is how much much more accessible it has become in the last 30 years. Oh, in the trash, man. Like, you know, oh, you were probably going to talk about that, but like Dude, yeah. the mountains just like littered with crap. Yeah. Dude, you ran out of oxygen. What are you going to carry that empty oxygen tank back down from yeah. like 25,000 feet? No. Yeah. You're just going to toss it aside. Yeah. You die. You're probably just going to get left there. I have a fact on that. They collected in a cleanup recently, 24,000 pounds of garbage. Yeah. Oh, easily. There's more than that buried in the cornices. In the and snow. I think I think this is interesting. This is also from the John Oliver video. It's hilarious. <laughs> they're they're like seriously concerned because there's so much feces in certain places that they're worried that it's gonna start sliding down. <laughs> so basically, wow. all these people that are making this ascent, which is a lot of people, um, all these people making this ascent are pooping in one area. And because it's a freaking the tallest mountain in the world, and weather is just constantly blitzing that area, the, that, the poop is, like, sliding down the mountain. <laughs> it's a poop slide. So it's probably coming from, like, base camp, advanced yeah. base camp. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just as you get, like, higher up on the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a lot of crap. Yeah. Oh, just a crap ton of crap. Just a crap It's a crap, it's a a crap shoot. A crap ton of crap... Man. Yeah. It's a crapshoot. It's, it's a true crapshoot. I wonder if any human has died from a crapslide. <laughs> that could happen. It's a poop slide. We could have the first death by crapslide wow. in our lifetime. I would hate to be that person, though. Yeah. I went to. I paid $100,000 to go climb Mount Everest. <laughs> and I got killed by a poop slide. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... What's important to note here, just so you can understand, and that I think it kind of ties back into why I was so confused that there was only 9,000 people, because I feel like 9,000 is like, that's a lot of people, but I, I was expecting there to be a lot more. And come to learn that there's truly only like maybe two weeks of time that you can actually go to the top. Right. Um, and in that two weeks, kind of touching on some of the more present day issues, there's so many people yeah. getting to the top that it's causing problems. The lines. The lines. You're having to wait to summit for hours. You're Mm -hmm. sitting at 28,000, 27,000 feet, which they call the death zone, where your body is literally deteriorating. I don't want to sit here and list off all the things that can happen to you, but that's where planes fly, just about. It's a few thousand feet above that. Mm -hmm. But you're basically chilling where planes fly. Your body's going to have some huge problems. So you have these people like... Trying to get onto to, onto the top of this, on, onto the top of this mountain, and they're literally waiting in line. Right. Yeah. And there's such a short time window. Oh yeah, it's a. That they got to get in there and do it. It's like a, yeah, it's a line. I mean, you see that? That's where the yeah, yeah, the deaths happening. Absolutely. There's damn lines. Yeah. So I mean, I wrote down some of the death statistics, which just like are are hard to listen to. But there's been 250 lives claimed on there mm-hmm. and i saw i heard like i said some of the numbers on this is actually pretty tough to nail down i heard one in ten is the about estimation of like living to to making it is one in ten excuse me one in ten hmm, so you have a, you have a one no no you have a one in chance ten chance to die hmm yeah which like i said i've heard those numbers don't quite exactly there's <laughs> a lot of numbers here that maybe this is like a fact check that i could like i said this is we don't, I haven't put like a ton of research into right. this. This is a lot more numbers than I wanted to get into, but um, you nice. know, estimate between like five and ten percent. So like, the, it's still like a pretty high number. There's been a lot of people that have died, um, and then obviously you have like situations like um, ninety May '96, eight guys died at one time. They yeah. made a movie about it. It's called Everest. Um, Sixteen Sherpas died in 2014 cleaning. That was- Bad. yeah cleaning up and maintaining the trails that was a massive landslide, like a well ice slide rock yeah. slide, and then I thought this was interesting a seven point eight earthquake or seven point eight magnitude earthquake in twenty fifteen killed twenty two people' mm-hmm. a lot of that's a lot of people um so yeah I mean I think like there's just there's something to be said kind of what you said like you touched on in your in your episode about just and I call it the Instagram. The -hmm. Instagram effect, if you will, of people just being so obsessed with getting that picture, getting that, capturing that moment to put on social media, Mm -hmm. that it's just really clouded a lot of the things that we, that we, a lot of people still want to appreciate, you know? Like going out into nature and just appreciating it for what it is, going to a mountain and just appreciating what it is, instead of going to Mount Everest paying a crap ton of money to have. A Sherpa carry your stuff up the mountain. Yeah, teach you how to mountain climb, which a lot of these people I don't like. Like I have an information about it, but like fifty percent. There's an estimate of fifty percent of the people are actually ready to do it. Yeah, but like they're just like they're just churning people out. You have these yeah. companies that are just accepting a lot of people because mm-hmm. there's really not any regulation on it. Right. It's and, not. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of the people who are climbing Everest are not, you know, incredibly adept determined mountain climbers they just got deep pockets yeah you know and if you have you know 50 grand to spare and a lot of some time to commit to this it's a time yeah you might not summit it but you're going to be higher than any other human you've ever met Mm -hmm. um and not all on your sweat (laughs) yeah not yeah not really at all and there's a lot of people that just go to just experience base camp yeah um you know obviously there's been a decent number a lot of a big spike in the number of people that have made it to the top but like you say, at uh, what? Like, what's the what's the reasoning there? Right. Because you know, like people will always say, and it might be more common knowledge than I think, but Mount Everest is not a hard mountain to climb. Technically, there mm-hmm. are some spots, but like you look at the second tallest mountain, K two. Are you kidding oh, me? Yeah. Like, how many? Like, and that is a clean fifty percent death rate. Absolutely. Like, attempt. Yeah. You will. I die. would say there's probably less than a hundred people that have summited K two. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's just interesting what it's become. And we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast of just like humans' ability to just control mm-hmm. a lot of the the world that's around us like and you talked about technology mm-hmm. or human feet, right you know, and you talk you t- touched on that talking about going down the grand canyon right yeah, yeah. and it's kind of, yeah it's it's kind of a shame i mean it kind of i mean of course is likes to climb mountains. Which i plan planning do on Monday. By the way, I'm off Monday and Tuesday. Cool, Colorado. Where are you I'm going? I was um, The Wilsons, probably. Cool. Um, Wilson Group. It's like three peaks. Cool. But Everest just doesn't really appeal to me because it is like this yeah. sensationalized um, pile of trash. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, poop. That like we have, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we as like Western people just kind of ruined in like yeah. our just like the feet of it. Yeah. Um, well, and that's what it's all about now is making it special. There's so many things that people are trying to do. And, you know, you get your documentary crew in there. Mm. This is the first person to summit K2. Or to summit, sorry, to summit Mount Everest and snowboard down. And right. This is the first couple that has a child that's blind to summit the top. You know, like right. everyone wants to make youngest it special. Person, you know, like right. the youngest. The person to go up to the, like they everyone is going to want to make it right. something but what know? i want to what i wonder is like are these people do these people love mountains or do they just want to say that they were at the tallest point yeah. in the world absolutely which i think is a incredible difference yeah you know like there's a difference between doing something because it's the best and doing something because you're just truly passionate about that landscape yeah um which i think is unfortunate yeah it is and especially for the people who live there like you know, these people, um, like a lot of the Sherpas, lowercase Sherpas, you know, they, they're, they're getting paid a lot of money, mm. um, to help these people get to the top. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times they don't have other options no, for but, work. No, but think about that cost. Like, think about going to work for the season mm-hmm. and your wife, your kids don't know if you're going to come back alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas, and we Americans are just seeing it as as this, like, dollar symbol. Mm -hmm. This, like, oh, this amount of money will give me this dude who will haul my stuff up as far as I need it, set the trails. Yeah. To me, that's not right. I agree. I agree agree 100%. They are there, the Sherpas, because of us. Mm -hmm. They're there because there's a business opportunity there. Right. For them to make, like you said, a decent chunk of change. I'm sure in the region that... You know, there's a lot... Obviously, you just think about India and that part of the world is just... There's a lot of people that could benefit from a decent-paying job. Right. Um, and a lot of them do. And you have these companies that are sprouting out in in places like Nepal that Nepal does not regulate this hardly at all. You have companies that are taking people with very little experience. They're teaching them as they go on the world's tallest mountain. That's, gonna, that's why there's been a spike in deaths and a mm-hmm. lot of issues associated with climbing it because there's really not much regulation right? Um, coming through in, in some of the areas that that bring those businesses in. So, yeah. But like I said, I just think like touching, just kind of wrapping it up. I, it's sad to see sometimes the way that social media has influenced our society and how our society has changed to cater towards posting about an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what those social... Are there social media posts from Everest? There has to be. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I haven't really looked at that. Probably have like 100,000 likes. Yeah. Yeah, because if you get there, that'll be your most liked picture. Oh, yeah, for sure. So if you're trying... Maybe we should get up there as a podcast. Absolutely. Maybe we probably make it big. <laughs> Hey, we're on, we've to been to we at the top of Everest, like our podcast, follow us. Isn't that sad, though? Like that's why, that's why people, part of me thinks that's why people do things now. Mm-hmm. People don't do things to experience them. People do things to tell other people that they're doing them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that you can have your perfect life on Instagram and Facebook. I mean, uh-huh. I think we're, everyone's a victim to that. Like, I absolutely. Glad. You know, you are, too. It's yeah. Like, it's, that's just, um, but it is sad. Yeah. You know, it's like gone are the days of. It's like it's almost like if it wasn't on social media, mm-hmm. it, like it didn't even happen. Didn't even happen, yeah. And, and it, yeah, just... like I was in I was in Europe this summer, and shout out to my sisters, had an amazing time. You know, I have a I have a DSLR camera that I bought to take pictures. Granted, I like photography and I'm just, I, I enjoy learning it. I bought a drone to take pictures, which I I enjoy having the drone. But I found myself so I was in Europe in the Faroe Islands, which isn't the most beautiful place I've ever been. I found myself just kind of, like, taking a step back, and I was like, wait a second. Why did I bring all these things? It's to get that perfect shot that I want to post on Instagram. And I found myself kind of wanting to use those things less and just appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I mean, I think a lot of humans could just benefit from just, like, taking a step back and, like, wow, I'm going to be present where I am. Yeah. Um, For no benefit Yeah. Just from being happy with where I am. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, when you're what's more important? You know, when you're you know, a year and ten years and a hundred years from now, no one's gonna remember that post. No no not a single person will remember that post. But your kids or your grandkids might remember that story. Yeah. And that's how we've been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah. And that's what this podcast is all about—is stories. Yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna ever sit here and talk about an Instagram post story. No, we've been taking one picture during our podcast. We haven't, but we've been Which recording good. some it's good probably, content probably, behind this chair. Probably deter some fans. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but it was good, man. Yeah, that, and I think, yeah, it's that important. Was a cool one. It's important to kind of learn, learn about those things. So absolutely, there you go, man. Well, that's gonna wrap mine up, and we're uh, we're gonna wrap this up. Right here, yeah. right now. From the highest highest mountain to the deepest canyon. Well, not technically, but we'll just say that. Oh, man, yeah, that was a good way to wrap it up. Say it again, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> From the highest mountains to the deepest canyons. This is volleys of History. Adios. All right, well, thanks, y'all, for listening. Um, had a good time. Um, this is Jared. And, uh, yeah, this has been Ryan and... This has been... I will continue to be Ryan for as long as I can be Ryan. Me too. (laughs) We're going to continue to be, and we're going to continue to be the volleys of History. We've been having a great time doing this. This is episode five. Yes. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Um, And... If you're looking for their platforms, we are on Spotify. Yeah. Spotify. That's big. We're on Spotify. Yeah, that's huge. I don't know how that happened, but it's there. So if you're a listener, get on Spotify if you have it. Listen to us on Spotify because, you know, that's that's cool to That's us. easy, yeah. And people, that's like a thing. Like, everyone has Spotify. Like, that's, let me let oh, me share my Spotify, Spotify playlist with you. Oh, the Spotify podcast. Yeah, share it. Please oh, share, share it. it. Share us. If you have social media, like, just share us. Get the word out we could really use a sponsor to donate 20 bucks a month to pay for yeah. our use for this website. <laughs> it's good to shout that us, out. Yeah, share know? it. And it's there's actually a link when you go on Spotify. I'm sure people know this because I don't have a Spotify. I just got a Spotify when we were on Spotify. <laughs> um, but there's a way to share the Spotify artist on your Instagram feed. Yeah. So share us on your Instagram feed. Follies of History and uh, also our email Yes, volleysofhistory at gmail.com. We would love some um, suggestions. Yeah, we want feedback. Anything. Just Ideas. Know. Fact checks. Yes. Hit us with fact checks. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, as we go through this, you know, there's going to be different takes. History is History is only told from the eyes of the beholder, and there's so many different ways to look at things. Mm. So I'm always interested to hear some of those things, especially, like, Not that we've gone too controversial yet, but I'm sure we'll hit that eventually. And obviously, I think it's important that both of us hear hear back about that. Yeah, hit us up. What is that? Is that a cat? There's a noise. There's a noise coming near the podcast board. I hope you guys are hearing this. It was like a a very loud meow. It was a feral cat. (laughs) I hope... You know, we might have to censor that. <laughs> it was a cat moaning. <laughs> moaning cat is gone. Thanks for listening once again. Yeah, we appreciate you guys, and we'll be back next week with episode six. 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 Episodas. Episodas. Epi- <laughs> Numero seis. <laughs> Numero seis de Volios de historio. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to look up how to say volleys in Spanish. Los volleys of history. Perfect chance to connect with us. How to say volleys of history in Spanish. There you go. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for tuning in. This is Ryan. This is Jared. And this has been the volleys of History. Take care. Have a good night. And adios.